This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. All right, we've got some sponsors for the pod now. Wait, what? Every link you need for the things we talk about here is at artofdarkpod.com slash sponsors. First up, books. If you're into this podcast, Odds are you're probably a reader. We've got links to buy new books from bookshop.org and used books from alibris.com. And if you want to listen to your books, we recommend and use audible.com. It's great and the catalog is huge. All right. So if you're listening to this, you are online. Maybe you're very online. You probably have a website or are thinking of starting one. Maybe you want a website like artofdarkpod.com. We built that with WordPress, which is by far the most popular way to create websites. And the single best host for serious WordPress is WP Engine. I've personally used them for over a decade now, and I don't host my websites anywhere else. Go to artofdarkpod.com slash sponsors and click on the WP Engine link to learn more. Finally, the best way to support the show is at patreon.com slash artofdarkpod. Get the bonus After Dark content for every episode, access to the book club, and more. Thanks for supporting Art of Darkness. And I, I don't think that was too painful. I think no, we did a pretty good job good. there. Yeah. Yeah, that sounded good. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate it. We're back. Art of Darkness. Another Dark Room episode for you. For new listeners, people who don't know the show, the format of the show, Brad and I take turns doing core episodes. The core episodes are in-depth biographical profiles of dead artists. We each uh, endeavor to do one a month, so 24 a year. And in order to keep the lights on, we get a lot of help from Patreon. And we really appreciate our Patreon subscribers. We've been having a, a banger month a banger year we're going mm. for half a crowley this year mm. so the 333 patreon subscribers we're over a third of the way there now so please mm. consider supporting the podcast patreon.com slash art of dark pod every episode you get the extra after dark content we do another 20 or 30 minute minutes these dark rooms are devoted to discussions about one of the subjects we've covered. And today, our guest is Seth Michael May from the Obs Obscuria Filmcast, which is a podcast I went on recently where they find films that have sort of slipped through the, the cracks and they, they discuss them. Seth, welcome to the pod. How are you? I'm great, man. I'm great. Um, yes. Fun to be here. Yeah, yeah fun to, have, to you. have you here. And do you care to tell people, we're going to talk about Marilyn today, by the way. Marilyn Monroe yeah. is our subject. I have some very interesting stuff. We're going to go a little further into her love life, generally, but also on the after dark. Mm -hmm. And we're specifically going to talk about the JFK connection a little more on the after dark. On the mm -hmm. main part of the dark room here, I think we're going to read Andrea Dorkin's Dorkin's crazy intro to my okay. story in the full because it's just so far out but before okay. we get into it uh seth let art of darkness listeners know who you are and then also i want to hear a little more about Obsc obscuria and how the idea came to you and what you what you do there um i'm an actor and an acting coach uh i make a lot of money uh coaching working actors and actors who want to stop just you know, auditioning and get to more of a working actor place where they've taken a break and now they want to come into it. And um, um, it's 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 great. It's it's it feels wonderful. I can do it because of the pandemic from home a lot and have a lot of international 
students, but, um, you know, through the uh, late 80s, 90s, 2000s, um, I got to work with a lot of people who knew people, and some of them were actor studio members. So I got to meet people like Patricia Bosworth, who wrote um, Marlon Brando's autobiography, uh, Jane Fonda's autobiography, wrote the article for Vanity Fair about Marilyn's um, pearl necklace that went back and forth and who owned it Mm. for a long time between her stepmother and her true daughter and uh, the mix-up of that. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and uh, my friend... You've got to you got to tell us a little more about this. this oh yeah, we'll talk about yeah. That, yeah, 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 yeah. And Marty Frieda, who was one of my directors, taught Marilyn Monroe, or, or tried to how to teach her how to drive a cab because uh, he was a cab. <laughs> so I'll, I'll talk about that too. Great. Um, okay. Cool. Very interesting. Yeah, you've got yeah. the inside track on Marilyn from some people who knew. Yeah. Her. Yeah. Man. Cool. Very, Very cool. cool. Wow. We love that. Yeah. Where else can you get that? Uh, you get a deep dive profile, and then we bring someone on who can can maybe give you a little bit of the inside. I like it. Very cool. Well, and now tell us a, tell us a little bit about your show. Uh, I had a great time coming on. Uh, we picked, mm. Yeah, we did Dark Song mm-hmm. with you, which mm-hmm. we brought you in because I was like, where can we find someone who knows about this ritual? Um, <laughs> the Abermelon ritual, which you know sounds like a ritual using bologna and a melon, but right. it's actually a, a ritual that is an obscure uh, ritual of the um, the Golden Dawn Society that you have to complete in a year, and if you don't, bad things will befall you and your loved ones and your lodge. And mm. this woman decides she wants to do it. At first, we think to call up and speak to a lover but instead it's to call back her dead son mm. and then it gets even darker still so her and her occultist will live for a year in a cabin in northern England together and it's like a play there's really no other characters mm. seal it off with salt and things start to happen and it is a dark little quiet film it and don't is Hollywood. Mm, it no but um, it it does it's, it's a very fine example of independent cinema at its finest driven by writing driven by scenario great cinematography it does not feel like it was made on the budget that it was made on and it's also mm-hmm. as far as i can tell the the finest example of someone laying down ceremonial magic not with any no metaphor here like just (laughs) showing the ritual uh i'm sure it was stylized somewhat but i haven't seen anything else like it yeah (laughs) a dark song yeah very cool how did you get turned on to that to that film seth um i was on clubhouse and I was in a room and it was like the uh, the 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 dark films of paganism that you haven't seen room, and people were talking about uh, the Devil's Hoof and uh, uh, Witch Hunter General, and, uh, <laughs> cool. uh, the original. Um, uh, what's the one? What's the one that they remade with the? Uh, Nick Cage. Oh, the, uh, the Wicker Man. The Wicker Man. Yeah. Durant, yeah. Yeah. I just I just rewatched The Wicker Man. That movie never gets less weird. It is never, a extremely <laughs> weird film. A cut of the original, you know. They, mm-hmm. they they had to put that together from what they shot. Um so they were talking about that and then one guy said, "Have you seen a dark ring?" And he started talking to me and I said, "No." And it sounded fascinating. So I so I picked it up and I was like, this is bizarre. Um, <laughs> bizarre. Cool. Uh, so I yeah, I really dug in. 
Yeah, yeah really worth it out here. Yeah, Brad, you have yeah. to check out a dark song. No yeah. question. I want to come back on the pod at some point and talk Skinnamarink. Uh, I'm always down to talk about that movie is not even that obs- obscure. I mean, I guess on balance it is, but it's been yeah. sort of this crazy breakout indie horror film uh, that I need to rewatch. How did you conceive of this idea for this pod? What what was the impulse behind it? It's a very good idea. It's very clean. Let's let's talk about obscure movies. I, I like it as a concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, um, we were walking around talking about when you're at a party and someone goes, have you ever seen Holy Mountain? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Holy Mountain. Yeah, I can deal with Holy Mountain, except the, the opening with the frogs, man, is a little bit much. That frog. Yeah. Is, <laughs> I got I to pass that part. What about El Topo? Oh, no, I can't even watch El Topo. In fact, until I watched the documentary about what El Topo is about, I avoided mm-hmm. El Topo completely. And the other person, yeah, I don't, I don't go <laughs> near El Topo. And then, um, you know what? There should be a place for uh, obscure films. Like just so you can watch them and get an idea. And then maybe there's a little sort of a a, a narrow end of the pool Mm -hmm. into their their work a little bit Um, sure i think that i think the next level i want to go to is a podcast where i just take friends the way um that guy who does the uh hot wings podcast oh yeah (laughs) i've heard about that yeah yeah that shows scenes from el topo (laughs) see if they can stomach them (laughs) Just Jadorowski scenes, yeah. like like from Holy Mountain, El Topo, um, Santa Sangre, and he makes them watch it and like puts the camera on them and he watches them like trip. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like call it. it El yeah. Nopo. Yeah. El Nopo. <laughs> El Nopo. El Nopo. Right. And where can people find your podcast? You're on YouTube. We're on YouTube and we have... Uh, uh, we get around to uploading them to uh, Spotify and uh, and uh, iTunes when we when okay. we when time. So eventually they will be everywhere. But right now they are on YouTube at uh, Obscuria Filmcast, and there are a few of them uh, getting uploaded to uh, the other two. Very, very cool. Good. Very cool. Yeah, we'll have links for that in the show notes for people who cool. want to check that out. Highly mm-hmm. recommended. Yeah. Yeah. All the show notes are always at artofdarkpod.com. Brad, it when did we do the Maryland episode? It wasn't that long ago. It no, was it was like less two, than three a, weeks ago. I don't even think it was that. I think it was a week ago. Oh, was it? I don't know. I lose. No, track you're right. It might have been it was a little over a week ago. Yeah. But anyway, having having yeah. sat with the Maryland episode a little bit, Brad, mm-hmm. where where are you at with Maryland? Did yeah, it change I mean, your mind about her at all? Like, where? Yeah, yeah you, you know, I didn't have too many preconceived notions. I mean, you know, I, I, I had the sense that there was more to her than the stereotype. You know, um, she is one of those figures you sort of grow up with in a way. I mean, she's one of those, you know, even to the extent of like showing up as a gag and you know whatever the Simpsons or, or whatever, or the yeah, Simpsons exactly. or whatever yeah. right? So it's just kind of always there. Um, so I didn't really have. I, I didn't really have uh, too much of an opinion about her. I, I always felt like she kind of got a raw deal in some way, but I never really knew the details of that. So it's really interesting to see her uh, it more three-dimensionally, much more three-dimensionally, Kevin, thanks to you doing the deep dive. And, you know, it, there's an aspect of it that makes me think about how evil Hollywood can be. Um, in particular, of its treatment of certain types of people. Um, and I doubt, I'm very curious how much that has changed. Um, in some ways, it probably hasn't changed at all. Um, all right, if and, anything, they, they sort of brought it to scale now with social media and people. Right. <laughs> right. Like the first, the first yeah, they, person to psyop you is yourself. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, a lot of the sort of Instagram uh, booty selfie accounts are sort of Marilyn Monroeizing themselves, aren't they? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and so that that so that's interesting. Just to kind of think about how she is a sort of uh, almost a symbol for that whole thing. 
Um, but but you know, now that I've heard that, I I really see her much more as a human being, respect her, you know, intelligence and and talent and ability, and kind of notice there's a poetic element to the her the curse that she had almost. I, I almost think of it as a curse. This mm. being cursed with this um attract this this attractiveness, this kind of attractiveness, this energy, this sex vibrations as we called it in the episode that that she puts off and how that was like her um that was her doom in a way. Like she was never going to be able to escape that no matter what she did. I mean she could have she could have cured cancer and she would have still right. had to deal with this, right? So yeah, the only way that it would have worked for her was to age out of it. But right. Right. And then who knows what that would have looked like as an actor, Seth, what is your opinion of Marilyn? Uh, and then I have a few readings that I want to get into to further the conversation. As an actor who doesn't age out of it yeah. or, or just what was she as an actor? Yeah. Yeah. Would, hmm. I stood behind Julie Christie once. And I was like, she was still incredibly attractive mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. The people I'm standing behind, Julie Christie, I texted on my phone and they were like, you lucky, you're so lucky, man. <laughs> I'm like, you're so nice. And they were like, fuck you. They wanted, <laughs> they wanted her to be an unhappy person. Right. As she was old Julie Christie. Mm -hmm. And then I find that like when I go on um, Paulina Porstakova's uh, Instagram and she'll say something about her body or her face and how she really comes from a place of like, this is me at 57. Mm -hmm. And she's gorgeous. Yeah. Other 57-year-olds will attack her going, you don't reflect what a normal woman looks like at 57 or other people are like, yeah, you go girl. Right. Her attack for saying, yeah, you go girl. Right. Like, like she can't win. No. And I take it to the point of, you know what? It's just really hard being yourself no matter where you are. Though mm -hmm. so, you might as well have a self-esteem, but mm -hmm. isn't there something about, just trying to be confident where you are hmm. in your life. Yeah. And well, I mean, I think, I think Marilyn, this is a, a through line on this podcast where for me, I, I often struggle with people who from a distance look like they have it all. How could yeah. you fumble the bag? Uh, Marilyn, go to treatment, get it together. Marlon, you, you know, Brando, you can't even sort of like save your own family. Uh, just watching disaster pile up on people, even Burroughs, uh, our first mm -hmm. subject. And, and like, how do you end up in a scenario where you're in Mexico and you, you act, it's just, it's, it's, it's baffling. And he came from money and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I think so many of us who are on the kind of treadmill of, work and sustaining ourselves and supporting ourselves you sort of don't imagine what the other side of that looks like right uh, like right. marilyn there isn't an actress or an actor uh, alive today who wouldn't exchange like like a struggling one wouldn't exchange for the shots she had and for the career mm -hmm. that she had built and yet it wasn't enough she to me it it is a case where it's pretty obvious that her childhood was so, so bad, rude, bad, and the the contrast between the what we and we didn't coin this phrase. It was someone who it was. I think it was Elia Kazan, or it, it might have been. It was one of her acting coaches. It's on the episode. Yeah, uh, said you know, were you trying to read that sexily? No, right. And he just was like, I don't know how to work with you because it's like everything you do comes off this certain way. So, but that, and of course, like you say, Brad, it's a curse. It cuts both ways. 
Mm-hmm. But the high contrast of her turning 12 or 13 or 14 or however old she was, and then suddenly being adored, adored yeah. by just the local boys all the way up to the, the, the career she had and singing for the president, that only, well, one, let's just say only in America. That is it. <laughs> yeah. That is, she is a pure, she's pure distilled Americana from that period. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost impossible to, you can't imagine that happening in North Korea, <laughs> no, <laughs> for no. example, um, yeah. or Cuba or whatever. Um, yeah. uh, so, But I think that that contrast must have been, how could, you, there's no amount of coaching that could prepare you. It's like she got on a roller coaster yeah. and it, and the only way she got off was the way she finally yeah yeah Mm. i think too of like this this thing that seems to happen and and we've watched you know i've watched this happen to multiple people um and you know i guess i'm curious if you guys think this is true in the Marilyn monroe case too you know you watch people sort of like uh, i suppose britney spears is an example or but there's not a number of others who they they have this you know meteoric rise to sort of the center of attention of public attention and then we sacrifice them it feels Mm. like it's like Mm. we get them all the way up there and then almost not to get too sort of metaphorical about it but from an out from a zoomed out perspective it seems like we literally sacrifice them for some reason you know why do you why do we have to make it why can't somebody like say Britney Spears and maybe she's a bad example because I honestly don't know what she's been up to the last few years but MK we, Ultra mind control man she's yeah. got the mouse in her head her entire life yeah, yeah. Why, yeah they can't we can't we seem to not be able to just kind of let them sort of go out to pasture peacefully and everybody nods and says that was wasn't that great didn't they have a great career oh I'm so glad that they you know instead it's like they have to be destroyed for some reason <laughs> Yeah, yeah, many yeah. such cases. What do yeah. you think about that? What do you think th- that's about, Seth? Why do we need to see the? Is I think about Amy Winehouse, for example, too. I, I think it's about um, they get mm-hmm. to an age, and uh, if if they're left to their own devices, they might start meditating on things they were told to do and talk mm. about that right right and we don't yeah. want them talking about that mm. and they don't yeah. want them building on the pieces that they've previously done mm-hmm. and making right. that mm-hmm. all right and that, because now they have power and Marilyn yeah. apparently changed the industry she had her own production company yeah. uh and yeah they're they're a threat because it's the the institutions make you. Marilyn right. didn't make herself, and there was really no way that she could have. So they're going to no, get somebody. Their somebody had to dis- somebody had to discover her, right? I mean, based from where she came from, someone had to discover her and put her on. You know, well, I think there's something mm-hmm. too to the resentment. I, I mean, you were referring to this Seth with the Julie Christie story. I think there is people also resent successful people who are at the center of attention, and there is an element of like the the positive the resentment eventually catches up to the positive attention right this is like yeah. you know there's a moment where marilyn monroe is undeniable and then or fill in the blank with whoever and then at some point people are sort of like well why does she have all this she's not right. so good looking she's not so talented you know mm. and, and that all kind of catch, catches up to them um, slept her way to the top yeah you're describing yeah. the art of darkness uh group chat at t.me <laughs> slash art of dark pod they've started to get really bitter in there really angry at, at brad and my uh success with the pod <laughs> yeah, but well, if no you want it made it mm, when our fans yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you when the mob turns on us finally <laughs> gee whiz um i've got a reading from uh eve arnold it's this uh photo book uh just just called marilyn monroe i think this is a good segue from what you just said brad the the chapter I'm going to read from is called Launching Marilyn. I'll read a few paragraphs of this. It was not just her physical self that she tried to develop. She began to buy books and records to try to educate herself. We recall from the core episode, she realized one night she was out with a couple of her friends that she had nothing to talk about. 
<laughs> she was like, she wasn't stupid. She was just uninformed. So she set out to change that. In 1952, when Philip Halsman uh, came to Hollywood to photograph her, he reported that she had at least 200 books on her shelves, ranging from James Joyce's Ulysses to Tom Paine's Rights of Man. Interesting, right? Yeah. There were E.E. E. Cummings, Keats and Shelley, books on religion, history, psychology, translations of French, German, and Russian classics. She kept Whitman's Leaves of Grass at her bedside, and she enrolled at UCLA to take evening classes in literature and art appreciation. She confused learning with intelligence and was pained all her life by her lack of formal education. She was unlettered, but learned quickly from people she met. This, this image of the dumb blonde bimbo is just completely inadequate. And I think most mm -hmm. people know that, but it's good to have it reiterated. I'll just go on a little more here. Uh, her curiosity was a void to be filled, and she ingested information and experience. She had an instinctive understanding of people that enabled some of us to come close, but she always withheld part of herself. Every book, every class, every new person from whom she could learn was a step up and out of the misery of her background. Her critics thought her reading a pose because during her starlit days, she would walk around with a book under her arm. When she married Arthur Miller, a wise guy said she had married her college education. She was ribbed unmercifully by the press when she told reporters that she wanted to play Grushenka in the projected film version of Dostoevsky's Brothers Karamazov. She had read the book and understood the part. The later revision of opinion about her filmic skills indicates that she could have made a marvelous Grushenka. The film was a dud. Le one more para quick. Mm -hmm. She took lessons in speech, singing, dancing, and acting, and she kept a picture of the great Eleonora Dews uh, propped in a corner of her dresser mirror. Do we know who that is? Eleonora Dews? Yeah. yeah. Do you know, who, who is that? Eleonora Duse was... Um, Duse. The, yeah, she was the main rival of... Um, uh, what's her name? Um, the one that was related to the Terrys, who was a more showy actress. Uh, it'll come to me in a second. Um, but there were two schools of acting and all the method people were looking toward Duse and all the um, English people were looking at, uh, uh, help me, help me, help me here. Um, um, look, I'm looking <laughs> Brad's right. looking it up. Yeah. It, uh, it looks like, well, Bernhard, you guys do it. Bernhardt? Uh, George Shaw was looking at both of them and comparing both of them. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the point of all this is that Marilyn was no slouch. Uh, in any case, Brad will, Brad will read a, a little bit about Tuesday here in a yeah, second. Sarah, um, Sarah, Sarah, yeah, Sarah. Go ahead. Uh, uh, Sarah Bernhardt? Is Bernhardt. That her? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That was the rival to yeah. Eleanor yeah. Duzay. Yeah, okay. Interesting. interesting. Mm, yeah. Uh yeah, Marilyn knew about Duzay from her film magazine days. Garbo had been called the Duzay of the screen, and Marilyn knew about Duzay's film. She explained that the mistake Duzay uh, alluded to was to treat the screen as though it were a stage uh, where gestures have to be wide, facial expressions broad, and projection intensified in order to reach the last rows in the upper galleries of the theater, whereas in films, exactly the opposite is required. She worked at her craft, but, but spent thought and time trying to promote herself. Often she was vague and seemed to drift, but she never lost sight of her goal. Finally, she wrangled the screen test. Leon Sham, uh, Shamroy, the cinematographer who tested her, was knocked out. His reaction, I got a cold chill. This girl had something I hadn't seen since silent pictures. She had a kind of fantastic beauty like Gloria Swanson, and she radiated sex like Jean Harlow. There it is again. Mm -hmm. She didn't need a soundtrack to, to tell her story. Mm. So, mm. There it is again, though. Yeah. <laughs> radiating Marilyn Monroe. Right. She's uh, got some, like, she's bewitching mm. people. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I keep using almost like a occult terminology for, her, but it, it's, <laughs> uh, it, I guess that's my vocabulary for this sort of thing. Yeah. She's, she captivates people. She bewitches them. Yeah. Interesting. Just, yeah. Just magnetism. And I'm looking up Eleonora Duzay here. Uh, this is good. Let's read a little bit of this from the Wikipedia. She was born in 1858. She was often simply known as Duzay. She was an Italian actress, actress rated by many as the greatest of her time. She performed in many countries, notably in the plays of Annunzio and Ibsen. It goes on, Duzay achieved a unique power of conviction and verity on the stage through intense absorption in the character, eliminating the self, as she put it and letting the qualities emerge from within, not imposed through artifice. Mm. So, and you're saying that in the history of acting, Seth, that the method people were looking at her as an inspiration? Yeah, she was like high up there as someone to like strive for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then we see this sort of translation, which which is a fascinating period, the translation into film, you know, before it's fully understood to be a separate art form, when it's, you know, it's theater uh, with a camera pointed at it at first, and, and the, 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 the development of the techniques, both acting and, and camera work and blocking and everything that was still on its way. I mean, she died, Duze died in 1924. Um, are we even out of the silent era at that point? I don't think mm. it's close. Uh, when did the film silent era end? I have a, I have a point to make about it. Yeah. It gradually transitioned mm -hmm. to talkies. I love it. We're yeah, going yeah. to the talkies. <laughs> yeah. That must've been mind blowing. That happened in uh, between 1926 and 1930. Mm -hmm. That must have blown their minds. Mm -hmm. I love thinking about what that must have been like to go and see a talkie for the first mm -hmm. time. Babylon, that movie, which is kind of middling and uneven, but it does mm -hmm. sort of talk about that period. The the movie to watch, I would say, if you want a, a case study in the method and the transformation in acting that happened... Well, one, go back and listen to our episode about Marlon Brando because I say it on that episode too. But I, I found myself, uh, it, I have a little quiver full of Art of Darkness <laughs> anecdotes that come up over and over again uh, when I meet different people. And the thing I tell them about Brando and film history is to watch The Men. Because to my mind, that's the movie that he, do you know that one, uh, Seth? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the one where that's the film he made, before, you know, after Streetcar happened. He's a big star. He's going to be a big star. He's already a big Broadway star. Now they're going to take and do Streetcar as a film, the great film, uh, and arguably the greatest uh, stage to screen adaptation, certainly top five, I would say. Uh, and he made this movie, The Men, and it is wild to watch the actors playing against Marlon because they play in the old style that Brad was kind of describing. They all have these like mid Atlantic accents. Uh, I don't believe a single frame when they're on screen, <laughs> it, you just go, but, and, and there, and then Marlon shows up and he is, he's just iridescent and you can tell he's doing the thing that he does and it's going to change everything because when they're on screen with him, he mogs them all with his, yeah. I guess the word is verity with the, the seeming authenticity of, of his performance. And then there'll be scenes where the other actors are playing against each other and you go, Oh, Oh, now I believe it. Cause they're both kind of doing this old timey way of acting. Right. Uh, it's right. just such an interesting film for that reason. Seth, I see you smiling here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. yeah. No signs. It's uh it's, it's, um, it's a fabulous film. And like there are guys in there who went on to like form their own studios. Like Michael Howard is one of the guys. In there, and he like really lived like a method guy. They like all stayed in the hospital mm. with each other. There's a story in Brando's book that some preacher came in. And it was like, if you believe in me, you'll all walk again. And some of those guys <laughs> actually had no legs. Oh my and they're God. like moaning and the, and then shit for shits and giggles. Brando was like, I think I feel something. I think I feel something. <laughs> And he got up and walked. 
<laughs> that's a great anecdote. I don't know how yeah. I missed that in my Brando coverage. Yeah, that's great. Beth, we, we've got to get some uh, anecdotes about Maryland going. Do yeah. you have one? Yeah, share one with us, and then I'll I'll get into the crazy introduction to this volume of my story that I have. So, um, Patricia Bosworth told me this story at uh, Marty Fried's uh, funeral. Marty Fried wanted to be a member of the Actors Studio, and he drove a cab. He had been a dancer at uh, those clubs in the Catskills, and he was like, I. You know, I can't do this anymore. I can't be one of those guys in the Catskills. And if girls need partners, I'm here. And, you know, I guess that was one of the ways he also, you know, got women for the week. Um, he was always available. And he taught these girls how to dance. And he said to his friend, I'm, I can't take it. I'm going to become a cab driver. And he became a cab driver. And in his time being a cab driver, he located where Lee Strasberg's house was. And he parked it on Tuesdays. And he parked it on Fridays and he did it for a year. Hmm. And every year he got up the gumption to go, you know, I'm in front of your house every Tuesday and Friday. And, you know, I'm in front of the studio every Tuesday and Friday. And Lee was like, mm -hmm. and he's like, well, it's because I want to become an actor and a director. And uh, that's why I do it. And Lee was like, well, then you should uh, come inside Right. <laughs> right. He became Marty's personal chauffeur. So uh, about a week later, Patricia Bosworth was let into the studio as a member. And there was a party. And she went to her first actor studio party. And uh, Harry Belafonte was there. Marilyn Monroe was there. Jane Fonda was there. Um, and it was time for uh, the party to end. And she was standing next to her teacher. She'd known for a week. Lee Strasberg, he said, you have a ride home? And uh, he said, uh, she said, no. And he goes, uh, I'll get you a ride home. And he hailed the cab and there was Marty. <laughs> and Marty drove up and in the car was Marilyn Monroe. Wow. And then there was Harry Belafonte. And <laughs> then there was Jane Fonda. And then she and Lee got into the car. And um, somehow in this back of the car, um, Marty said to uh, Patty, uh, so you seeing anyone yet? And she goes, no. He goes, I'll, I'll take you out for a date. And she's like, oh, dating Marty. Dating Marty Freed is his assistant stage manager. <laughs> and then about a block from that date being set up, Marilyn Monroe said, oh, I would love to have learned to drive a car. And um, Marty goes, I can teach you. <laughs> and she goes, okay. So a week goes by. Uh, Patty never gets a phone call from Marty uh, for a date. Another week goes by. No date, no call from Marty. Another week goes by. Patty's had it. She confronts Marty at the actor's studio. She's like, Marty, I thought that we were dating. <laughs> I am trying to teach Marilyn Monroe how to drive a car. I'm very busy right now. <laughs> oh, why don't we just be friends then, Marty? Yeah, yeah. that's that's that's, <laughs> that's very. That's a story fun. Very fun. She said Marilyn was too nervous, and he never was able to teach her. Wow. Full-time uh, job. Full-time job trying to teach her how to drive. No, Interesting. In terms of Marilyn um, had a thing where if she had something and you liked it, she was like an Arab sheik about it. And the <laughs> Strasbergs had a thing of if someone was more famous than they were, they couldn't stop them from giving it to you. <laughs> so on one hand, uh, John Strasberg once... Uh, his parents didn't drink. And T.S. Eliot came over and said, someone going to have a drink with me? Mm -hmm. And uh, this place yeah. is a wasteland. I need a <laughs> drink. Yeah. And uh, they, no one goes, well, Johnny had a drink with me. <laughs> and he proceeds to take out these tall glasses and make 
one heavy liquor, two heavy liquors, three, until he makes these cordials mm. of things like peppermint sticks, basically, of different heavy, like, oh, jeez. John, John Strasberg said they were too beautiful to drink, and mm. he got wasted. <laughs> on sure. <them>. And <laughs> sure. that, that, yeah, that but landed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we lost him. Oh, uh, he'll, that's oh. okay. He'll come okay. back. All right, we can vamp for a second. Well, th these are fun. I really yeah, enjoy yeah. these. Yeah, no, these stories. are goody, goody. These are the stories that don't get written. Kind of stories that don't get written down anywhere, right? You're right, yeah, right. Yeah, I yeah. imagine uh, having to teach Marilyn how to drive, and I'm sure it would have been a a stick. And, oh yeah, yeah. Like, somewhere in Manhattan or maybe right. Yonkers, right? And, you know, one of these big yeah. old boat cars for sure. Yeah. <laughs> how am yeah. I doing? Yeah, <laughs> You're right. doing fine, honey. Just, Just doing take great. It, clearing off rearview mirrors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, and then every every guy rubbernecking and oh yeah. You know, yeah. Oh look at that. Is that who's that? Yeah. She was quite famous at that point as well yeah. uh, sure. already. I think by the yeah. time she arrived, I at saw the a day. I saw a dame driving that Chevrolet. I swear it was. I Marilyn. saw. An absolute yeah. dime piece driving that Chevy down Dykeman, Larry. I think uh, we're going to get priced out here soon. This is crazy. Uh, Brad, will hey, let I me plug, read... Let me plug the Borges quick. Borges yeah, plug ends, the Borges uh, book. April 16th, 4 p.m. Oh, shoot. 4 p.m. Eastern time, I believe. Uh, we are meeting, we're talking about Borges Ficciones, which, uh, it brings together really two short stories collections, Garden of Forking Paths and Artifices. Uh, if you haven't read it yet, it's 120 pages. There's a link to a free PDF on the Patreon post. Come join us. It is a hoot. Um, patreon.com slash art of dark pod. Totally. And with bookends, the book club, you choose your level of involvement. If you become a patron at patreon.com slash art of dark pod you get access to the live zoom meeting where we hang out we talk about these various books and we also record it so if you're yep. like i don't really i don't have time or you're on the other side of the world maybe you're in australia or new zealand you can't make it mm -hmm. we record it all uh and i'm just gonna say well here's the remainder of the episode we're gonna see if we can get seth back hopefully he's yep. he's all right and he didn't yeah uh, right. I, I don't know maybe his abermelon ritual went poorly could who be, knows could be. yeah uh, <laughs> hopefully yeah but i'll i'll text him here and see where he's at uh i've got two pieces i've got uh for the after dark for patreon something from glamour and from something from irish central uh hmm. about jfk uh okay. and maryland so i'll read a little bit of that as a tease but before i do i'm just going to double down on the patreon business we know we have we listeners we know you're out there we put in a great deal of work on this podcast i'm preparing to do my lenny reef uh, stall core episode brad who are you preparing andre tarkovsky tarkovsky yeah. we do 24 of these a year ish mm -hmm. we do all of these darkroom episodes we try to make it worth it for you uh you know uh, to you if you join the patreon but please legitimately consider consider supporting the podcast brad and i love doing this we want to do this for a very very long time the thing that makes it possible for two grown men to devote as much time as we do to this podcast to, to bring you guests to do these core episodes that are well researched with material that we you know we we buy these books we scour the internet the thing that gives us the oomph to continue doing it frankly mm -hmm. is the monetary support from patreon <laughs> it it is above yeah. everything else what it tells us is what we're doing is valuable to you we genuinely appreciate it we love seeing the numbers go up seeing the listener numbers go up but in the long term, we're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> yep, yep, for sure. And, yep, mm -hmm. yeah. And and and, and you know, uh, in addition to that, uh, rate, retweet, send mm -hmm. to friends, things like that helps yep. a lot as well. So it really does. Give us five stars. Tell five people about Art of Darkness. Say, hey, you. At this point, you can go to the website. You can isolate the core episodes. You just go to the sidebar. You find the core episodes toggle category. Mm -hmm. At this point, there is something for everybody. You into tarot, mm -hmm. Pamela Coleman Smith. Are you into uh, old Hollywood? We got Marilyn Monroe, Marlon, excuse me, Marlon Brando. Um, you know, country music, blues, film, 
television, Rod Serling. Are you uh are you into uh butt stuff? Crowley. <laughs> like, <laughs> did I did I said the quiet part out loud? I did yeah, well, we did yeah. we did a six hour <laughs> we did a six hour episode about Alistair Crowley mm. that was a was a sort of landmark episode with mm-hmm. with the great uh, Stephanie Leahy who is on to Cambridge. I mean that's the yeah. kind of that's the kind mm-hmm. of guest that's the kind of person we bring on. We got Adam Lehrer coming up. The great mm-hmm. Astral is coming mm-hmm. on the pod. I want to mm-hmm. do this for a very long time. Please support the pod in any way that you can. And here comes mm-hmm. our friend uh Seth. Seth. He's right. he's back. He's yeah. back. I don't know what happened. No, <laughs> that's all right. It's that's all right. right. We we speculated that your Abermelon ritual, uh, my Abermelon ritual got me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I was I was loving those stories. Uh, yeah, that, that was now, quite a that, lot of fun. Now, there was there was something up early on in the episode. I heard something about a pearl necklace. Okay. Yes. What's this? Yeah. Okay, but before the pearl necklace, there was this one time John Strasberg is old enough to drive a car, and his <laughs> parents are like, "You don't need a car." You live in Manhattan, right? Have Marty drive you everywhere, um, and he's sort of upset, and they're in the car going to uh, Arthur Miller's, and Madeline, uh, Marilyn can sense, you know, something's up. She goes, "Oh, Johnny, what's the matter?" And he goes, "Mom and Dad won't let me have a car," and he goes, "Oh, the studio just bought me a, an old car." For one of the movies I did, and it's just under a sheet. Nobody drives it. You can have it, and it's like this antique Studebaker. <laughs> so she just gave it to him. It's awesome. like this 1955 Studebaker that he was in mint condition. That she just gave it to him. That he well, she didn't know how to drive. What was she going to yeah, do with yeah. it? Yeah, so <laughs> he was like, they were, and they were like, looked at, and I can't argue with it. So it was right. hit for the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, there was things like that. Okay, so the thing about the the pearl necklace, which I thought was especially great for me, is uh, so the emperor of Japan had a son who didn't want to be the emperor of Japan. He wanted to be a marine biologist, and he gifted to the the countries in the UN these giant. Uh, monstrous, long-legged red crabs, the kind that you get at, like, Red Lobster, those giant crab legs. Mm -hmm. Hungry. um, And uh, when I went to the uh, Brooklyn Aquarium, my grandfather said, oh, see those? Those are are from the the son of the emperor of Japan. He didn't want to be the Japanese emperor. This is a gift from Hirohito Jr. And I was like, oh, okay. Cool. Well, the other thing about him is he had a crush on Marilyn Monroe. So he handpicked the finest pearl-dived pearls for her. And he made a necklace for her, which he gave as a gift to her. Whoa. would seem like a really big deal, but it's Marilyn Monroe. So to her, it's just, hey, another necklace. Right. So right. she gave it as a gift to Susan Strasberg. Mm. Susan Strasberg took it and kept it, which wouldn't be a big deal, except that Lee's second wife mm. was given the rights to everything mm. in the Strasberg estate, mm. except those pearls. Oh, so really? technically, they <laughs> Technically, they were hers. Yeah. But they had been given physically. Right. And if you read the Patricia Bosworth article, uh, which is online, mm-hmm. there was right down to Susan Strasberg's last breath because she had breast cancer and mm-hmm. she was addicted to like faith healers and energy healers and acupuncturists oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. everything like that. She had a horrible right to her last moment. She was signing them over to her lawyer to get the cash to give it to her grandchild. So her sister, who runs the Strasbourg Institute, Mm -hmm. excuse me, her stepmother, could not get the money. 
Wow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wow. It, yeah. It's insane. It's like the, it's insane. It's like, I, like, I have the, I have the story. It's from Vanity Fair. I sent so. it to you, right? Yeah. yeah. Why don't I? Why don't I read a bit of it? Yeah, I'm really read a bit. Very, yeah. Yeah. Very. Very wild. Kind of. Um. Th- this is like a legendary object plus yeah. eight to your charisma. If you that's have. what I was gonna say. It's like she's you're, you're bringing it's like something from a handpicked pearls from the bottom of the sea brought to you by the emperor, emperor. who would be the emperor of Japan. Like that is, <laughs> right, it's like right. a fairy tale. I, I, love, I love that this is like the biggest problem that like the greatest generation and the boomers had who inherits the emperor's <laughs> pearls. Uh, here, I'm going to read. This is from Vanity Fair. Uh, Paula let Marilyn know that she coveted her pearl necklace. Oh, Marilyn, she'd gush. I just love looking at those pearls. Marilyn would smile and caress the pearls, not telling Paula that she really wanted to give them away, since they reminded her of her disastrous marriage to Joe DiMaggio. (laughs) All he did was watch TV night and day, she told Sidney Skulski. On Christmas Eve of uh, 1957, Marilyn sent the pearls to Paula in a brown paper bag. They were left outside the Strasburg's apartment door with a hand-scrawled note that read, For Paula from Maryland. John Patrick remembers that Paula ran around the living room waving the pearls, her eyes full of tears. Look at what she gave me. She knows how much I love those pearls. She wore them everywhere. Nothing had ever pleased her more. Marilyn was very generous to all the Strasburgs that Christmas. She gave Susan a Chagall sketch and bought Lee expensive art books and records. Later, she gave Johnny her Thunderbird convertible for his 18th birthday. She knew I was being ignored by everybody, he says. She knew what that present meant to me, everything. And then it goes on about Arthur Miller and this pearl necklace. And uh, let me see if there's anything else about the pearls. Oh man, I looked up the word pearl in this article and it's uh, a lot of them. <laughs> uh Yeah. No, I think that's it. I think I think our friend Seth here yeah. kind of told us that story nice. very that's yeah. a fun one, man. That's like yeah, that's yeah. like a a treasured object. Ah. Right. Must right, be, right. Uh, yeah, no there's like a fate there's like a fable there. It's like a half mm-hmm. Three quarters of the way, written fable is going on in that story. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> great. Uh, Seth, if you have any more anecdotes, hold on to them for a second. I'm just going to well, read no. the. Mm, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, great. I'm just well, going to read yeah. the beginning of yeah. um, Andrea Dworkin's insane introduction to my story. Can we uh, say who Andrea Dworkin is for folks? Or I can you, look. I can. Yeah, I, I kind of am familiar with her, but let me give you a. She's like active. a what? Like a second wave feminist? I think she <clears throat> she came to Minnesota at one point on like a fellowship or to teach and like tried to get a civic ordinance passed in Minneapolis to have pornography banned. Mm-hmm. So that sounds, she's that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. yeah tell us who a, this was. Yeah, an American radical feminist writer and activist, best known for her analysis of pornography. Her feminist writing, uh, beginning in 1974, spanned 30 years. They are found in a dozen solo works, nine books of nonfiction, two novels, and a collection of short stories. Or another three volumes were co-written uh, or co-edited with U.S. constitutional law professor uh, Catherine McKinnon. Um, so yeah, she's she's written a number. She wrote a number of books. She was a prominent voice. In, in in the feminist movement during her time in the 70s um uh i don't this is not my opinion i think generally the opinion would be she is about as radical as they came in her day of a feminist um yeah trying to trying to ban get pornography banned and a number of other things <clears throat> right i will not read her entire introduction because it goes on for some pages but this is how it starts and then i'll read her her bit about when she sang to the president marilyn mm-hmm. Let me first say to the male chauvinists who have written about Marilyn Monroe, Norman Mailer, and James Wolcott come to mind, that fucking Jack Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Arthur Miller, even Mr. DiMaggio, as she first called him, was rubbing salt in open supportive wounds. Hers. This memoir, the authorship of which is in some dispute, tells the childhood story of the world's loneliest orphan. Compared to this little girl, all the suffering children of literature had it pretty good. Dickens couldn't have imagined this strong, resourceful, ignorant, pitiful child. And it's unlikely that the men she knew, or those millions more who wanted to know her, ever gave her real life a thought. You can't imagine your mama selling you into menial labor for $5 a week, and that being your first memory. 
or that you didn't even know that the woman who visited now and then to deliver the $5 was your mama. The child was named Norma Jean. Later, a movie studio would give her Marilyn, but she would take her mother's surname, Monroe. This is quite astonishing since she was seven before a foster parent told her that the visitor with the $5 was her mother. She was a pretty woman who never smiled. I'd seen her often before, but I hadn't known quite who she was. A visit to her mother's room was the first happy day in my life that I remember. Another first happy day occurred sometime after. For those who are poor in happiness, each time is a first time. Happiness never becomes a habit. And it goes on like this. I just think, what a heck of a way to start. Um, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, she she, she like <laughs> she comes out guns blazing. Um, yeah. I'll go on a little more. She entered the demimonde of modeling for the same reasons girls do now. She was essentially homeless as a child. She was sexually abused as a child. And people go into modeling because they're sexually abused. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to follow your logic. This is mm. like, this is a hammer looking for nails. Mm. Um, uh, and the man who abused her, a tenant in a foster home where she was doing menial work, the only escape from the orphanage, tried to give her a nickel to keep her quiet. Sex and barter, the act, and then the coin of the realm. It just goes mm. on. Uh, I mean, mm. just holy mm -hmm. moly lady. Um, <laughs> And then a little bit about uh, the Kennedy uh, happy birthday. I remember Monroe singing happy birthday to President Kennedy. I was a teenager. I was distressingly aware of a dirty joke I wasn't being let in on. She was the dirty joke. And in those days, boys, including presidents, would be boys. She was as alone on that stage as she ever was in the orphanage or foster home of the week. She kept trying to hold on for dear, dear life with a man, some man, who had his feet solidly planted in achievement instead they had her uh they had their feet solidly planted on her neck or other exposed flesh as she aged coming into a more mature talent especially as a comic actor she had as many as 20 abortions and that's totally unfounded rumor i don't know mm. how true any of that is and a host of so-called lovers this memoir ends with her marriage to Joe DiMaggio, who subsequently beat her. She escaped a year later. That makes her the champ. Her survival mm. instincts were so deeply and implicitly feminist that she knew Mr. Kimmel had no right to molest her when she was a child and that Mr. DiMaggio had no right to beat her as an, an adult. Okay, I'll co-sign that. Yeah. Uh, it's like it, it does have a bit of a uh, like old man yells at clouds quality, this yeah. introduction. Um, yeah. She kept trading up finally to the brilliant Arthur Miller and the charming glib president of the United States. It didn't work as a strategy for survival. It never does. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, that that intro is one of the most sort of from left field. Yeah, it's just so like uh, it's such an unusual pick. To, to have her write that intro. Yeah, yeah, it's not an unusual pick for an article like that to exist, but to put that as the intro to this person's memoir is, is yeah, it's pretty intense. I, you know, the thing I kind of try to nail down what I don't like about it, I feel like she's not giving Marilyn any agency either, just but from like the other side somehow, right? It's That's like Norma Jean and Marilyn. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, but interesting. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, she's, uh, so I so I started blasting. That's uh, Andrea Dorf. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> so right I went in article. there and I, yeah, right. I came yeah. in. Yeah, totally. Yeah. She had one in the chamber from yeah. jump. Yeah, uh, it's it's an interesting counterpoint. I you know I mm -hmm. I don't think that you can avoid talking about Marilyn as this iconic symbolic mm -hmm. figure, like a like a demigod of the American psyche. Mm -hmm. uh, she holds that much kind of psychic water uh yeah. for, for people yeah yeah mm. but you know i did do a little bit of looking at this you know marilyn monroe pregnancies and it, it looks like it's kind of controversial and, and maybe somebody knows the full story out there but it sounds like she had some some num some small number of miscarriages and possibly you know one or more abortions this idea that she had 20 plus 
that impugns, I mean, to me, that kind of impugns her, right? It impugns Marilyn Monroe, and it's a lie about her. It would be deeply, whatever you feel about abortion, 20-plus abortions is deeply irresponsible. Yeah. <gasps> right, yeah. right. Yeah. And so for right. Dworkin to say that about her, to me, that feels, how is that better than you know having right. her sing happy birthday i, I don't yeah it just yeah. it just feels like an intro that uh, like a, an editor maybe needed to have a have a sit down with andrea <laughs> right. and go what are we doing here yeah right. uh anyway. seth do you any more uh fun anecdotes before we break and then come oh. back on the after dark to talk about jfk and uh maryland's love life writ large hmm. uh, i remember i remember going through pictures at the actor's studio when Marty died and seeing a picture of JFK at the actor's studio. And I was oh. like, and I was like, uh, there are all these pictures gathered on that stage with the brick wall. And uh, let's see, Vivica died at 95. So I was there in Marty's house and it was, yeah, it must've been 95. And I go, uh, Oh, what was JFK doing there? Was this like a rally or something? It doesn't look <laughs> political. And and he looked at me and he was like, Why do you think JFK was there at the actor's studio set? And he just looked like, Oh, oh, okay, I'll shut up now, Marty. Because he was right. Like there was no other, there weren't any other security guys around him. It was there weren't any other political people there. It was just like JFK happened to be at the actor's studio that day. Um, Very spicy. Um, mm -hmm. The other story I'll, I'll tell is that um, John Strasberg, and it's in his book, um, there was a period where John Strasberg's father had Marilyn staying over at the house. And uh, it's, it's, it's in the book. Um, it must have been pretty strange at the house because the, his book starts off with him coming home. He's a teenage kid, like 15 years old. He comes home and there are these two guys and they're naked and they're in handcuffs and there are police standing over them. And there, John's father is there and he's talking to the cops and John looks and he goes like, yes, they're doing a scene with my dad. And he just goes upstairs <laughs> to his, uh, his, uh, his house, his, his his room, and then he comes back down for dinner, and he goes, uh, I don't know, "What scene was that about?" He goes, "So he goes, that wasn't a scene. Those those two boys thought that I ruined their acting career, and they 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 tried to come and get me, and I called the police." Oh, and so that was <laughs> that's the beginning of the book. So then it comes to the point where Marilyn moves in, and uh, she has a psychiatrist downstairs. She does uh, a session with me privately. Then she goes downstairs to the psychiatrist. Then she has dinner with the Strasbergs. And then she kicks John off of his couch. So he has a place to sleep. He sleeps on his couch. And she sleeps in his bedroom oh. in the back. And, I didn't realize uh, that she she moved in with the Strasbergs. Moved in with the Strasbergs. Oh, I did not know that. And yeah. So one time in the book, if if you get the book, it's it's very. I, I've knocked it around a couple of times in my head. He, he and I are close. Like interpret it as you will. Um, he comes to this point where one day he said there was a night and she came out and she was in a see through robe, and she said, "Johnny, don't." don't wake your parents. And he had orders to do that if this happened. And she, she smelled like drugs. And, um, and she said, Johnny, just hold me. And she's holding him. And she's in her 30s and he's 15. And he's thinking, every man in the Western world wants what I'm getting right now. And um, I'm not enjoying it at all mm. like it's all about what's wrong with me mm. right now it has nothing to do with i could be enjoying this moment i yeah. should do something and they just held each other in the dark and that that's what it is but years later i was talking to my friend g and i, I was like 
you know, he sat down and he wrote this. A lot of time has gone by since he wrote this. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he just wants people to think that of all the people out there in the universe, he's got to be Clark Kent about this. Mm-hmm. Like maybe something, did, I, I don't know. Like I, when I first read it the first few times, I, I, I related to it. I was like, yeah, I've been in that position. I've been in that position, but I've also been in positions where, um, I, yeah, uh, so I don't know. I, I don't oh, know. I interesting. Know. But, um, yeah. that, that definitely. Yeah. Well, how old that, would he have been? I'm sorry. You said how old? How old? He was, he was 15. 15. I mean, 15. that's, mm. that's a lot. Like you imagine, you know, no, your first sexual experience is, is some I awkward mean, fumbling thing fa- with some other girl your age. House. Like, yeah, loud that's or... it. That's like it's like learning how to drive a stick shift in a Lamborghini, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, right, right. It's right. Yes. Too much. I have to say, Seth Michael May, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> We're gonna come back for the after. Yeah. That's a showstopper right there, Johnny. Yeah. Hold me. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've really enjoyed this. We mm-hmm. love talking about our subjects, and we're gonna come back on the Patreon. For After Dark and talk a little more about how did Marilyn Monroe and JFK meet. And I've got another article about her various uh, big love affairs. And I I have a funny feeling that uh, if we keep Seth going for another 20 minutes, we'll probably hear some (laughs) other interesting stories. Do check out obscuria film cast on youtube you can find the episode i did with them on a dark song there and uh seth i want to come on sometime and do some other do some other movies yes yeah Absolutely. we love movies on art of darkness we sure do mm-hmm. all right well let me let me think about what you know those crab legs sound really good <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go i don't know I have a couple of crab legs. Se- yeah, I might order some seafood after this. Oh, oh wait, I can't leave my house because I'm in the middle of this this uh, ritual that will go unnamed. But when it's done, <laughs> my entire house is surrounded by salt, were, so I'll have salt. For- it, mm-hmm. When you're doing it in a uh, an abermelon ritual, can you order from Uber Eats and just wait the edge of the? <laughs> right, the re- yeah. Can you reach across the salt? Can somebody pass the salt? Something <laughs> over the salt to you? What are the rules here? Yeah. <laughs> I ordered I ordered extra demons. <laughs> <laughs>